As we're going on and thinking about this time of the year, I thought it very fitting to talk about the cross of Christ this morning. I heard that the children in Bible class also got a similar lesson, and then they'll be getting a similar lesson that will line up with the sermon next week when we look at the subject of the resurrection. A Christ crucified, that powerful message that we've been reflecting upon this morning and are singing and in our prayers, and uh, especially with, uh, with some of the words that Garland has shared with us already from the Lord's table. The, resur- the uh, crucifixion of Christ is the most attested fact in all of ancient history. And that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by Pontius Pilate. And I say that because there are hostile sources who say the same thing. Uh, I, I know of an atheist scholar who says that the, the evidence and the sources for it are undeniable that Christ was crucified by Pontius Pilate. And there's a long list of them. I, I, I've heard of them. I've seen them. I've heard it from their own mouths. I've read the books on it. Um, and, and, of course, I believe the Bible. But to hear the historians say this, and uh, it makes you wonder what people think about Jesus uh, and how they answer the question when Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And the cross of Christ puts that right before you. Who do you say that Jesus is? This morning we want to look at the crucifixion of Jesus. We want to see the depiction here uh, from the Gospel of Luke. We want to look at a number of uh, points from it and see what it's being communicated here. And Luke has a very specific emphasis that he has. And I think that it stands out to most of us when we read the Gospel of Luke and we read the account here of the crucifixion of Christ. If you have your Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 23, uh, verses 32 to 43. Luke 23, 32 to 43. All right, this is what we, we read here. We see Christ has been betrayed. He's already been scourged. He's been delivered by Pontius Pilate to be crucified. And beginning in verse 32, it says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. The criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today... You will be with me in paradise. It's remarkable when we read the Gospels of Luke and also John to hear the words of Jesus from the cross, to think about the things that that he said there. And one thing that stands out to me here uh, is also is always in contrast to the sin that's going on around Christ as he's being crucified. You can you can see the sins and the things that are going on as though he's we know he's bearing them for us. And you, you hear the mockery, 
And you hear the sneering. And, and all these things that are taking place, we think about this. This is some observations here. We see the cruelty of humanity. It's the cruelty of humanity that crucifies the sinless as the guilty. And here Jesus is sinless. The Messiah was prophesied that He'd come, that He'd be without deceit. There'd be no violence with Him. No deceit in His mouth. We're going to look at that in a moment. But the cruelty of humanity crucifies the Christ, the sinless One, the righteous One, the One who had done, not, not, done nothing wrong. The carelessness of man we also see here as the soldiers gamble for His clothes, not recognizing who He was and what He taught, not thinking about the life of Christ or what was being accomplished here or that God was at work. They gave no honor and respect to Him. They were careless. We see the wickedness of the world as they stood there and they mocked Him. Save yourself. You're the Christ. You're the chosen one. You saved others. Save yourself. We see the wickedness of the world. All these things that Christ died for, for those and those sins that were being committed right before Him as He hung there on the cross. We see the justly condemned sinner who did not fear God. That criminal who reviled. That is, he cursed the power of Christ in his suffering. He made light of it and he mocked it, even though he's facing the same judgment, a similar judgment at the same time of being crucified, of being condemned. This is what we see from Christ. We see His mercy. You know, that's what stands out here in the account of Luke is the forgiveness of Christ. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The mercy. Christ on the cross forgiving. We see here, we see the salvation of Christ as He speaks to the repentant criminal. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with Me in paradise. There's apparent more to that criminal than that he merely believed, but he was trusting in Christ and believed that He was the King and He was going into His kingdom. He was repentant in all of this, recognizing who Christ was. And as you look there and you see the rulers mocking, you see the, these people speaking against Christ and you see the sins of the wicked people gathered around Him, you also see that there, there are crowds here. When you read Luke, he says, all the crowds... The depiction appears that all the crowds of the city, that all of Jerusalem had come out to see this event. I've seen some movies and some of the depictions of Jesus' crucifixion, and sometimes it makes it look like He's in this corner of a place where nobody can see it, or where nobody was even attentive, that people were just walking around doing their own business and going to market. Uh, and what I read here in Luke is that it says all the crowds there had come to see this. And what were they watching? And what were they seeing? And what were they thinking about Jesus, this man of God, the one who had done so many good things, who had healed so many people, who had taught so many great teachings? Who was he? And yet, here in the midst of this sinful and selfish response to Jesus, Christ responds with mercy and forgiveness and love from the cross. These things that we read here are amazing. The thing I want, to, I want to look at next, right there from the same text, you still have your Bible uh, out. Look there in Luke 23, and we're looking at verses 44 and following. But we see this, even in history, and we see this uh, throughout the Gospels, noted darkness that came when Christ was crucified. You think about that. And Jesus on the cross, and under the crucifixion and the darkness that, that took place, a sign of God, and a sign of a time of sorrow. 
Those who are watching are going to recognize that something was happening and it wasn't quite right. In Luke 23, we continue reading verses 44 to 46. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And so it's from noon until three. So while the sun's light failed, and it said the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That means the temple and the sacrifices that took place and the blood atonement there, all that has been torn in two. There's a new way to access and come to the Father, and it is through Christ. And so the curtain of the temple was turned, torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And those are the final words of Christ. And having said this, the Scripture says He breathed His last. The other Gospels depict that when He called out, that He was, he was crying out. It doesn't tell us the words that He said, but this Luke does. It says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We have the trust of Christ even uh, to His heavenly Father to the very end. And this is the reaction. This is the reaction that stands out to me. Verses 47 to 49. It says, Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God. He praised God. Now if you read the other accounts of the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, it says that he looked and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And here um, Luke captures this. From, his, from what the centurion said. He said, certainly this man was innocent. Now, the Greek word there means he was righteous. This man, certainly he was just. And notice this, it says, all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, all the crowds that had come out to see this, to see this event, this man of God, the one who claimed to be the Messiah, and he's crucified on the cross. And then when they saw what had taken place, they returned home, it says, beating their breasts beating their chest. And that was a reaction, especially within the culture of, of sorrow. Something had happened. They were wrestling with it. How can this man die this death? Is he the Christ? Well, the, the Christ was supposed to live forever. They're, they're wrestling with doubt. Even the disciples would lock themselves up afraid of what would happen to them. And we continue reading here, and it says, And all his acquaintances, the acquaintances of, of Christ and the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. They were watching and looking upon what Christ had endured. I often think about these passages, and I, and I try to picture it myself. I think about what Paul said to the Galatians. In Galatians 3, he said, Christ was portrayed before you crucified. Portrayed. He says, you had seen, seen him. Even though we know the Galatians, they, they wouldn't have been there. But they would have known they would have heard the story. It would have been as though they had been there because they, they knew the conviction and they knew what happened here at the death of Christ. And so as we look at these individuals and all the crowds who returned home beating their chest, did they understand the death of Christ? What were they wrestling with as far as the sorrow? And so I think a lot of people today do this. They come to the cross of Christ and they see Jesus died and here's this holy man and he went through this, but what for? What's the purpose of it? And you hear some people doubt that today and ask questions. This doesn't make sense to me. Why would God allow Jesus to die? Why would he suffer in this way? Uh, the answer here, and I was looking at a number of scriptures to share with you, but to think about what Christ endured and why he did this and why he died on the cross is very much revealed here in the prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah verse 53, chapter 53. 
Isaiah chapter 53. And we begin in verses 4 through 6. And so Isaiah is one of those great scrolls that's found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we have this text that everybody knows that it existed. It existed, existed in the Greek Old Testament. It existed far centuries before Jesus died on the cross. And I can't help when, I don't, I don't know how anybody can read Isaiah 53 and not think and see that's Jesus. That's the Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the one who's come. This is, this is Him. And so this is what we read there about the suffering servant of God. Verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs. I want you to notice there the verbs. He's borne our griefs. What griefs? Our sorrows, our regrets. He says He's carried our sorrows. And what happened? He says, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And so when I read that, I think about those crowds that had gathered to see the crucifixion of Christ. What were they seeing? They were seeing this is a man this is a man who's stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And as Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He died for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed. That's what he was doing on the cross, enduring. That, that's why he was up there. He was pierced and he was crushed for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Upon Jesus was the justice that was due to us. He took it and He brought us peace. Atonement. Mercy. That's the idea there. He brought us peace and with His wounds we are healed. Now we gather here on the first day of the week and we think about what Christ has done for us. We remember Jesus, especially in the partaking of communion. We think about what was accomplished there. Great peace was accomplished there. Healing was accomplished there. And I can say that I can say that with all, every bit of confidence. It is because of what Christ suffered for me. And the sins and the things that I've done, the sorrows I have and the regrets that I have, it is by Christ on the cross that I've been healed. That I have peace with God. Isaiah goes on, the prophet, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. In other words, we've all sinned. We've all gone our own way. We've all rebelled against God. He says, we have turned... We've all turned, everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah goes on and he talks about, he gives us the picture of the death of the righteous one. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. We see the innocence here, we see the sinlessness of Christ and him dying. We see what those who actually understood why Jesus was on the cross were beating their chest. And why they saw that He was afflicted and stricken by God. Because He was without sin. And they knew it. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. For this, He was taken away. How so? And as for His generation, who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living? He died. Stricken for the transgression of My people. And they made His grave with the wicked. You see these predictions? You see the details of it? They made His grave with the wicked and with a rich man in His death, although He had done no violence and there was no deceit in His mouth. 
The sinless Savior dies right there, stricken and pierced for us, cut off for the land of the living. And the Scriptures tell us this and said He would come and He endure this and that it tells us that His grave would be that of with the wicked and the grave of a rich man. How can anyone deny these things? See what Christ has endured. Look at Christ and look at what has been attested of Him. Those who live with Him, those around Him, those who wrote the Scriptures, wrote the Gospels, and told us He endured all these things. Did Jesus, did He know what He was doing when He went to the cross? He knew exactly what He was doing. He knew that He was fulfilling this. He knew that He was taking our sins upon Him. And Mark 10 and verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came, to be, came not to serve, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I came to give Myself as a ransom to be that sacrifice. He knew He was fulfilling what the prophets had said would happen. He came to endure. And He did that for us. And it should have a conviction upon us to where I know why He's up there. I know why He's on the cross. And He died for me. He's on that cross for me. And some have said, why would God do this? Well, Christ does this willingly, doesn't He? As we just read there in Isaiah 53, He goes as a the lamb led to slaughter. He, he follows this path. And it says here in John 10, Jesus says this, verse 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves Me, because I lay down My life, <clears throat> that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I, re- I have received from My Father. That Scripture is amazingly beautiful right there. John 10, 17-18. If you have a Scripture that you've been wanting to memorize, I encourage you to memorize this one. It's a summary of the Gospel, isn't it? It's that Jesus willingly died for us. That This is a part of God's plan. That He had authority and God's love in doing this. That He knew that when He died, He was going to rise again. That He died in hope. But I still hear people today say, I'm not worthy. I hear individuals and friends and family say, I can't, I can't go to church. How can Christ save me? If you knew the things that I've done, you'd know that I can't live up to what Jesus did. No, you can't. Because you're missing the whole point. You're missing that He died on the cross for you. That He bore your sins. I know you're not going to live perfectly. And I don't know where that idea comes from. And maybe there's not much truth behind it. Maybe it's just an excuse that individuals say that I can't live up to Christ. I have too great of sins for Him to save me. But we look at the examples of those in the Bible. We look at, for instance, Saul of Tarsus who persecuted the church and killed other Christians and did so many wicked things. And yet, here he's written half the New Testament and he's come to Christ. And for someone to say that Christ can't save you, what you're doing is you're limiting the power of Jesus. What you're saying is, I don't believe the cross was, was efficient, that it wasn't sufficient, especially not for me. And those things aren't true. And they're lies and they're false. We can't make those excuses and think they're going to stand. Even in that, when we look at the cross of Christ, I think some people go away again, beating their chest in sorrow, not understanding what Christ had done. Not, not coming away with any hope in it. But here you have a sinless 
the sinless one. God come in the flesh to die, to endure that suffering on our behalf. And when He's on the cross, He says, it is finished. It is completed. The death was. And the victory was coming. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the victory. The victory is when Christ rose again. It's when He came out of the tomb on the third day. These are the things that the Scriptures attest to. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this is the Gospel in the first importance. That Jesus died and He was buried according to Scriptures. On the third day, He rose from the, from the dead according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. That's the hope. And I think some people think about the, the cross of Christ and there's no hope in it. They don't think about eternal life. They don't think about what Christ accomplished, that He overcame death, that He was victorious over it. Those are things we read about in 1 Corinthians 15. And they're encouraging. The effect of the cross of Christ, when we understand what He's done, when we, when we contemplate Isaiah 53, and we see that by Him that He has borne our sins and our sorrows, when we see that He's been pierced for us, that He's taken on our sins and He's given us peace, the response to that and real faith in that is this, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. When I really and I truly believe and I trust in Christ and I say, yes, He has died for me and He can bear my sins and His sacrifice was sufficient, then I can live a life. Where we say, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life... I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I hope that we never put that aside, the cross of Christ. That we don't wake up any day of our life and think, oh, I've got this and this and we're not mindful of our Creator and of our Savior dying for us. And that we don't... And that we, we, we come to forget what He's accomplished by the cross and rising on the third day. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, He says, for you to be His disciple, you've got to take up the cross daily. And He says, for you to save your life, you've got to lose it. I encourage you this morning to obey that, to obey the Gospel, to be obedient and faithful to the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That you yourself die with Christ. That you crucify that old person because you believe in Him and you trust in Him. And you're willing to, to bury that old person in the waters of baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. That's when we, we unite with Christ in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And as the Bible says in Colossians 2, 12 and 13, it's then that our sins are washed away and we're raised in the newness of life by the working of God, not by our own working. It is then that God does the work and washes away our sins. The cross of Christ is meant for us and is sufficient. I encourage you, take up the cross daily. Believe and trust in Christ. This morning you need to put on Christ in baptism, having repented of your sins and confessed your faith that Jesus Christ is Son of God. You can do that. You can be buried with Him. If you need prayers this morning, encouragement, we encourage you to come forward. We want to pray with you.